I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get... The FOMO Show. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. Cryptocurrency for the rest of us. I'm Matt. I'm Joe. This is the podcast where you'll hear about cryptocurrency in plain English. Um, if you're excited about cryptocurrency, but you don't have time to read white papers and other technical nonsense, this is the podcast for you. Just just yeah. so you're aware, this whole episode has been re-recorded. Uh, we recorded a couple of nights ago. Um, it kind was the of like, greatest show in the world. It was the greatest show. It was, it was basically like the episode we never recorded at the start. Before, yeah, you remember how yeah, we yeah, yeah. remember episode that one? zero, which... yeah, that we that that was the greatest episode in the world, yeah, and we didn't record it. Um, well, we've had another one of them. Uh, you missed ex- out on a treat. Extreme technical difficulties. We could not um, patch a show together from it, so we're re-recording. You guys are in for a treat today. So today we're going to be talking about a few different things. The big ticket item for today's Ethereum and smart contracts. Yeah. Um, so we're doing another Crypto 101. You'll recall in episode two, we did our first Crypto 101, which was Bitcoin and blockchain. So tonight we're going to be running through Ethereum and smart contracts. Mm. Um, it might seem like we're going down the list by market cap, but um, we're not going to be forever. <laughs> um, next week or next episode, hopefully, we'll be talking about wallets Yes, and doing a Crypto 101 around wallets. Lots to look forward to. Yeah. What else will we be talking about tonight? We'll go through a bit of news, a couple of the um, interesting projects we've stumbled across in the week. Uh, We're going to be running through a few news items. Uh, We'll be talking about the crypto ruble news out of Russia. When we actually first recorded the episode, it was breaking news, but uh, it's not so breaking news anymore. Um, And we've actually got a phone call that'll be coming in later from our very own intrepid reporter, Jordan Cronier. Yeah, Jordan's back. He is indeed. Where is he this week? Uh, He's in Zimbabwe, I think. Uh, He was was holidaying in South Africa and we've got some breaking news out of Zimbabwe. That's another thing that we'll be talking about. Um, And Jordan's there on the ground to report for us, so that should be good to look forward to. Stay tuned. So, in this week's news, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin has officially stated that Russia will issue its own crypto ruble at a closed-door meeting in Moscow. Now, this is a story coming out of Cointelegraph.com. You can find the link in the show notes. But quoting from the article, according to the official, the state-issued cryptocurrency cannot be mined and will be issued and controlled and maintained only by the authorities. The crypto rubles can be exchanged for regular rubles at any time. Though, if the holder is unable to explain where the crypto rubles came from, a 13% tax, that's one three, will be levied. The same tax will be applied to any earned difference between the price of the purchase of the token and the price of the sale. And, um, yeah, the, uh, the chap from the, um, uh, it was the ministry, minister of communications. who's quite a young guy, Nikolay, uh, Nikiforov, Nikiforov, I'm not sure. Nikiforov. He said, um, I confidently declare that we run crypto ruble for one simple reason. If we don't, then after two months, our neighbors in the Eurasian economic community will. So, so this is basically Russia's 
idea to get in before the Russia Europeans was first. <laughs> Russia was Russia first. Russia was first. <laughs> in Soviet Russia, bank robs you. <laughs> right. But there is a little bit of that to this, isn't there? Because, I mean, first of all, it's it, it doesn't really appear like it's a real cryptocurrency in the traditional definition. It, it may still have cryptographic security, I guess. Um, but there's 13% tax as well. I mean, essentially, mm. they're saying if you want to take your crypto ruble out and get regular fiat currency, regular paper currency, and you can't explain where the crypto ruble came from, then you get taxed 13%. I don't know what explaining where the crypto ruble came from means. I guess well, you'd probably trace it through the, the blockchain or you go, oh, you got this from an address and... If it wasn't from a legit business, then it was probably some kind of dodgy money. So it's mm. their way of sort of... Hmm. But what is fascinating is that, yes, it is centrally controlled. So whether or not it's going to be decentralized, I don't know. But when you've got central control, something tells me it's not going to be a decentralized cryptocurrency. Yeah. Because yeah. you could, of course, host it on nodes all around the world, but still have central control well look it depends on how they set the power up you know mm. if all the voting power lies with the government nodes which i assume it will then yeah the government has complete control the central bank mm. or government or whoever's issuing this has complete control over the currency um so yeah i mean look we've we've talked about this a little bit before but we have some real reservations about how um you know cryptocurrency could be the avenue which provides more monetary freedom to humanity or it could be used by certain parties to ensure that humanity has less monetary freedom mm. simply because of the ledger and mm. the ability to be, be able to read the ledger and mm. everything being publicly available um, I mean imagine if you know imagine if a if a journalist published the public keys of the top 50 crypto rebel holders and their real identities mm. you know all of a sudden you could you could log on to the public blockchain and see who the how rich these people are and what transactions they've made um you know every transaction they've historically made you know if they've only transacted from that address and yeah mate that's a lot of extra information and mm. uh, may take us in the opposite direction of the anonymity that some people seek. Yeah, and look, there's probably an element of this where governments are really recognising the the threat to their currencies that crypto represents and they're trying to move quick enough to, mm. to get out ahead of it. Mm. Mm. But it does seem, considering Russia has some of the, you know, a lot of the world's greatest talent in regards to computer science and a number of different areas, it seems like they could end up being a big hub for a lot of the world's mining mm. um, depending on how they regulate it, I guess. Mm. There's some good news for UK listeners. There's a, a new UK, uh, quote-unquote, bank lets you buy and sell cryptocurrency. So it, the bank is called um, Revolut, um, and this is from an article on Quartz. Um, and it was basically the fir- It seems that the firm's sort of doing a Coinbase-style system where you basically – you can – you can essentially have a current account with this bank. Um, so it's all done via an app. There's no branches. Uh, you can have a current account with you know your money in there. And they just want to let you buy um, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum, I believe. You can exchange to and from, but you don't control your own private keys. I believe it's all wrapped up within mm. this Revolut account. 
What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, our view on the whole private key thing is that you really want to be in control of your private keys at all times, mm. um, simply because that's your entitlement to your money. Mm. Um, and if someone holds that, you need to be really sure that they are holding that legitimately and that you have sole rights to that. So mm. for anyone that's looking at using this Revolut's bank, I guess you could say, I'd pay really close attention to whatever agreements you sign before you sign up with these guys. I would make sure that while they may be the custodians of your private keys, mm-hmm. that the right to your private keys still rests with you right? and you can request that at any time. Okay. I'd suspect there would be some fees around that otherwise, because these guys at the end of the day have to make money. Yep. The other issue I see is that like any other bank, they may wish to invest your currency elsewhere. I would look into that, look into how they're going to use it mm-hmm. and what consequences that has for liquidity, the ability to be able to pull your money out. Mm. Yeah, I've just got a lot of questions because it's, it's, it, I would like to see a significant amount of additional holdings behind them mm-hmm. so they can guarantee that if they invest your money and you still want to, you still want to get it back, mm. that they can give that back to you. Mm. Um, I think they need a significant amount of liquidity and I would really want to see some some real world figures. Mm. I think they'd need to do something to um to have that open to everyone. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think can I've got a number of uh, I'm from the UK myself and I've got a number of mates who are there. And for any of our listeners from the from the Europe area, you're gonna find that, you know, it's in some places in Europe it's easier to withdraw cryptocurrencies. But in the UK, um my I've been told by some of my close friends that it's it's a real struggle to get get your money and turn it into uh, your crypto and turn it into cash. Mm. And in some ways Revolut is actually is is a perfect idea because then you could just send your Bitcoin to your Revolut Bitcoin wallet, mm. I assume, and then you could just switch that straight into your cash and then you can work with it. You can have a Revolut card if you've mm. got one of these current accounts. So it can give a lot more freedom. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, at the same time, you're not as in control as you would be if you owned the wallet yourself. Yeah. Look, I think it's like anything. I think if you look at it and you look at their terms of service and you work out how it can benefit you while not putting your money at risk. Um, look, I mean, we, we're, we're pretty fortunate here. We've got living room of Satoshi in Australia, so um, mm. we're a little bit spoiled. Um, but oh, if yeah. this is the only option for the UK holders, I think just do due diligence and make sure that mm. you know exactly how your money's going to be treated if you're not spending it. Um, so your crypto is going to be treated if you're not spending it. Um, but yeah, mate, it's promising. It's, mm. a really, it's, it's a really good step in the right direction. If you're listening from anywhere in Europe, do drop us a tweet and let yeah. us know any of the best ways that you found of getting your cryptocurrency into cash. Um, share those with us because we'd love to share those with the other, other, uh, everyone else. Mm. Mm. Uh, so another bit of news this week... Um, an announcement at Coinbase says that Coinbase users are going to be able to direct transfer from their bank into Coinbase and convert that money into cryptocurrency. Mm. So in a Coinbase blog post, it said, instant bank purchases are now live for many of our customers in the US and we will expand availability over the coming months. Well, it sounds a bit that means in the next two years, 
that will come around the rest of the world. <laughs> but that's that's really good because uh, a number of people have been, you know, unable to put in as quite as much as they've wanted to, and it's just making it easier for people to get in, which is great. Because mm. ultimately, if you're buying cryptocurrencies now, and the availability of direct bank transfers to coin um, yeah, to a Coinbase transaction, if that's happening and it's easier for people to get cryptocurrency, we may even see just continued crazy growth with some of this. Mm. It's all about making things easier, isn't it? Like, mm. I mean, adoption really has to be by just making things easier. And the Coinbase model is really smart because it's it's kind of a model that people already know, um, and it takes away all of the technical stuff. Mm. Um, obviously, that comes with with risks. You know, you, you don't control your private keys, um, but. For as a gateway for a lot of people, mm. I feel very confident just pointing people towards Coinbase mm. and saying, "Look, you want to get in? Go get a Coinbase account. Yep. It's the easiest way." Yeah, yeah. And just dropping those barriers to entry is, and and this is going to keep happening. We can sense with. We're going to talk about wallets later, but with all of these sort of topics to do with cryptocurrency, just making it easier, making the user experience better, is really going to pay off just for everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So look, it's. It's a good sign. Like we always say, just um, hold your private keys if you can. And hold your Bitcoin. That's right. So, mate, one of the um, one of our favorite coins, Pivx, it had a pretty landmark uh, moment this yeah. week. So, they announced the they were integrating the Zero Coin protocol with um, the Pivx cryptocurrency. And what is Zero Coin? What does that mean in simple terms? So, from my understanding, zero coin is like a, it's a it's a major step forward in an uh, anonymity in cryptocurrency transactions. So, from what I hear, let's say you've got so the currency Pivx, you have let's say you've got fifty Pivx. I don't know. That's probably like three hundred dollars. I'm not sure how much it's worth. It's worth it a bit, but you have your regular Pivx, and apparently you can sort of mint some of these. You can mm. sort of convert these Pivx. Into ZPIV, which is like a zero coin. It's it's basically, from what I gather, it's minting like an anonymous coin, mm. which you can send to someone, and it sort of by that through that minting process, it loses its connection to you. Yeah. So essentially, zero coin is the ability to still send transactions, but not give up your public key address. All that is given up is the amount of currency that has been sent and it has like a mathematical algorithm within the protocol that can prove that that transaction was valid without giving up the private information or even the public information. All it shows is that it was sent and it's been received by someone. So it essentially anonymizes everything while still having a cryptographic method within the system to be able to verify that these transactions actually happened and that they were legitimate. That's it in a nutshell. It's quite a complex uh, protocol. Uh, we probably need to do a feature on it and we're, we're trying to get the Pivx guys on uh, some point in the future. But yeah, all you need to really know is that Zero Coin makes things a lot more private. 
Lovely. So, yeah, last week, as Julian Assange put out, who is currently stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, he put out a fantastic tweet. He said, um, um, he said, my deepest thanks to the US government, Senator McCain and Senator Lieberman for pushing Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Amex, (laughs) Moneybookers et al. into erecting an illegal banking blockade against WikiLeaks starting in 2010. It caused us to invest in Bitcoin with a greater than 50,000% return. That is huge. Now, WikiLeaks get plenty of donations from big names, even like actors and mm. those sorts of things. They, they donate to WikiLeaks. Yep. And if this was in 2010, even if they put in $1,000 worth in Bitcoin back in 2010, WikiLeaks is funded for the next few decades. That's what I at least think. If they're not worth hundreds of millions, if not millions, if not now, yep. they're they must be worth a lot. And, mate, the banter level for this guy. like oh, <laughs> You can tell he's an Aussie because he just <laughs> he just loves stirring. He like, is a troll. He's a troll. Mate, he, he's World the, class the troll. trolls. Like, that is, <laughs> you know, to say my deepest thanks to the US government, Senator McCain and Senator Lehman, they would be reading that and they would just, they'd be losing it, man. Uh. You know? And around the same sort of time, um, Kim.com actually said, if you invested $10,000 into Bitcoin seven years ago, you're now worth $644 million US dollars. That's filthy. And he said, congratulations, don't sell yet. Now, Kim.com of mega upload fame, he, got it, he most likely got into Bitcoin some time ago as well mm. because you wouldn't blame him if he's the mega upload guy so kim.com he probably won't say it but he must be a multi like he must be worth millions yeah. if not billions and you wouldn't say he wouldn't go out and say oh i'm the i'm, I'm worth two billion no 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 no. and look a lot of these guys they've i mean we looked we saw another article just today actually from zero hedge i think um we'll put that in the show notes too um uh, about you know all the all these really rich Bitcoin hodlers that have their crypto in cold storage, uh-huh. you know, and somewhere under one Swiss lake, somewhere in a, in an old army bunker, um, and that's where a lot of them are keeping it because obviously uh, in Switzerland it's entirely private, yeah, um, it's really secure. But um, yeah, I just find it so interesting because you've got a, got a lot of these guys that are just holding and holding and holding. Um, and you've got to wonder how much Bitcoin is actually in circulation right now because mm. so many of the guys that got in early just got in to hold it and they're still mm. holding it now. Like, And uh, the longer you hold it, the more money that's worth. Yeah, because man. if that restricts the supply, then the price just is it can only go up. But just like it must just take balls of steel sometimes. Wow. You know, wow. when you're watching these fluctuations and every now and then there's a you know a new Bitcoin doom and gloom story and, mm. and you're looking at it and going wow I've got 50,000% return. they must just not have TVs in their house yeah is like, it t- you couldn't like, read the time news to get out you oh know? Like, it'd be terrifying you'd be like should I just get out there I just think because I mean the thing is if tomorrow everything the bubble bursts you know if there is a bubble and the bubble bursts you know you could go back to square one now do I think that's likely to happen no um, and I think a lot of them are probably counting on the financial system going bust before Bitcoin goes mm. bust. But, yeah, that, surely there'd be some moments where mm. they just wonder. If Bitcoin gets cheaper, buy it. Yeah. It's not going to be this cheap for long. Not investment advice, though. Definitely, probably not even correct. <laughs> 
So tell me a bit more about this tool that you you were um, discussing earlier this week. Yeah, so um, I was listening to Coin Mastery by Carter Thomas. Um, is that a podcast? It's a podcast, right. yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and he just just offhandedly mentioned this tool called OnChain FX. Um, and it sounded cool. So I looked it up um, and then I sent the link to you. It's essentially, it's a crypto asset rankings and metrics for investors platform. You've played around with it a bit, haven't you? Oh, do you know what this this website? So, if you you've probably come across Coin Market Cap, if you've done any sort of research into cryptocurrencies, looking at prices, this is very very similar in a way. So, you've got a list of you know a hundred odd you know crypto tokens, but the metrics that they use are absolutely fascinating. So, as you may know, some coins haven't re- you know they haven't all issued the entire supply. So there there might be twenty one million bitcoins. But only 76%, 80% of the Bitcoins have actually been mined and are in supply at the moment. So there's a little column where you can actually see the supply percent issued. You can see the um, standard sort of stats like current market cap and 24-hour change. There are two metrics that are particularly interesting. One is the uh, 2050 market cap implied. So if the entire supply, the entire supply that's projected to be available in 2050 times by the current price... Really interesting. So you can see while the current market cap of Bitcoin is $93 billion, the 2050 implied cap, assuming the exact same price, it would be 118 billion Bitcoins, mm. um, assuming that we've gone from 80% to 100% of the supply. Mm. Really interesting sort of metric there. So one of the other really cool metrics, um, which is part of on-chain effects, is the Vladimir Club cost. Now, I'd never come across this before, but if you've been in the Bitcoin scene any amount of time, you've probably run run into it. The Vladimir Club um, refers to owning 1% of 1% of the assets eventual supply. So it's the, the it really says, how much does it cost to own 1% of 1% of Bitcoin, for example? Yeah. And it gives this stat for all of the different cryptocurrencies. So while Bitcoin might be, you know, it might cost you $11 million to own 1% of 1%. With some of these smaller cryptocurrencies, so with BitShares, for example, it would cost you 16,000 US dollars for 1% of 1% of the eventual supply. Mm -hmm. So it's a good metric for comparing the coins, but also it's a good way of saying, you know, how cheap can I get this amazing, you know, a good chunk of this amazing project yeah so if a project looks really amazing but it's less than you know less than sixty thousand dollars for a one percent of one percent seems like a steal Mm. yeah because it's essentially like getting one one thousandth of any single coin isn't it and you can filter down by the type of cryptocurrency that it is so there are a number of different filters in there but yeah check that out at onchain fx fx onchain fx.com it looks. Re- it's a really nice looking site too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. So, as you know, every week we um, we try and feature at least one uh, token or ICO, which is an initial coin offering. Um, and this week we're looking at Decentraland. Um, so you stumbled across this only recently, didn't you, Joe? Yeah. So I got really excited. I thought I came. I found something <laughs> totally brand new. I was super excited. I was like, "Hey, Matt, Matt, check this out!" And Matt's just like, "Yeah, I bought some of that like three months ago. It's great." <laughs> but um, it's a really interesting idea. So it's 
it seems like uh, Decentraland, from what I've come across, it's like a 3D world, mm. like a, a virtual world where you can own property or land and you can sort of develop on it. And this whole thing has been built on Ethereum, which we'll be covering later. But you can sort of own property and make money from it. So, for example, you could buy like a square of land and mm. supposedly put in a casino or something and make real money off your virtual property. Yeah, yeah. So, when I was doing all the research back in the day for this particular project, um, and it's come a long way since then too, it's really good to actually see this project as it gets fleshed out. Um, we actually might try and get an interview with them sometime because they're, they're doing some really interesting stuff. But the whole project seems to be aimed at cashing in on this coming VR wave um, mm. because mm. that's the way things are going. You know, the, the VR technology is finally getting there. You know, you've got Oculus, you've got Samsung, you've got a few others who are all developing this um, this VR technology and it seems to want to build a VR platform, very open source, on the blockchain. Um, so, it's essentially future-proofing itself in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And look, the way they've proposed to do it, their ICO, you bought Mana, which right. is essentially the coin of the realm. So, right. Mana is like the dollars in Decentraland. Okay. Um and with that manner, you could buy land. So, right. a few weeks ago, they had a like an initial land buying auction, and essentially, what happened was you could you could bid on certain properties, and the closer you were to center, mm-hmm. the more the properties cost, mm-hmm. and the less land you could get with those properties, the further out, the bigger the land, the less the cost. Mm. Um, and that's all happened. So now you've got, I guess you could say there's two currencies. You've got mana, which is the money, and land, which is the actual property rights to this stuff. And because it's open source, their plan is for you to essentially be able to build pretty much anywhere, anything. So yeah, they said, you know, we can build, you could build a casino. You could have people literally walk into your casino, you know, pull down on the pokies if that's what they wanted to do and play pokies. Or. Um, you know, you could go watch a movie, you know, uh, like you could, yeah, or you could yeah, go yeah. watch some sport in Decentraland mm. or something, you know. And, and the, they say the possibilities as they flash this thing out are pretty yeah. much endless. Um, yeah, you could build your own little crypto cafe, and that's some... right, or a castle. Oh, there's mate. talk of transport systems. I love a castle. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and no, there's talk of different transport systems as well. So, like they're talking right. about putting, you know, someone putting train tracks in and maybe buying little bits of land wow. from other people. You know, put wow. the transit system in, and That'd oh, it's all it's all pretty cool. I mean, my big concern with it. Um, is that it's built on Ethereum. Um, and as we know, Ethereum is kind of expensive. Um, there's been some issues with their ability to process large amounts of data and transactions. And as this grows, um, my reservation is that it may well... It's As we'll discuss later, it's kind of handicapped by the, the, the miners and the speed of the network. Um, so... I'm interested to see how that element mm. of it goes. And with things like, yeah, as you said, Facebook, they, you know, owning Oculus, they really, they, they were like, you know, 10 years from now, that will be much more uh, widespread than it is now. Mm. But we could all be sitting in Decentraland, you know, with our Facebook friends. You know, it's, it's a great idea. And yeah. I think it's a perfect time for them to have done it. So. Well, and look, it just, it actually just had a thought. If you've read the book Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, um, You'll see it around a lot. It's a great book. I'd really recommend going and reading it. Right. Um, we'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but it, it essentially, it's set about 30, 40 years in the future. 
Um, and everyone lives in these ca- caravans that have been built up in stacks, you mm. know, like essentially the work. It's kind of post-apocalyptic, but because the whole system is shut down, everyone does everything in VR. Right. And these VR sets are really cheap. Right. So, everyone goes to school in VR. Uh, uh, most people play their sport in VR, you know, in these in these virtual worlds. And, you know, with overcrowded public schooling systems and, um, you know, a lot of lessons being taught wholly online, it's not a big stretch to see someone go, well, I'm going to open a school or I'm going to open a university and you wow. could literally go there and watch your lecturers in VR. Um, that would be crazy and very profitable. And it would cut you, down so much well, overhead. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is dangerous. That's, that's yeah, dangerous. Yeah, patent, patent, patent pending. Yeah. <laughs> Cheeky. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Decentraland. Um, Decentraland.org. Go check it out. Link will be in the show notes. Um, and we'll see if we can't rope them in for an interview sometime in the future. Unlucky them. So... Last week, I had a bit of trouble with wallets. Um, being a bit of a plum, I was going to... Um, I opened up uh, a wallet for one of the cryptocurrencies that I'd, I'd purchased. Uh, not, an, not a tiny amount of money either. I mean, it was a couple couple pounds that I put in there. Anyway, go to, upgrade, uh, go to open my wallet and it all seems fine, but it can't seem to work on the network. I'm like, why is it not working? What's going on? Turns out I was running a wallet which was three months old and I hadn't updated it and I hadn't known that I was supposed to update it. Mm. And that was kind of scary because, you know, I am a little on the technical side, but I never realised, you know, I just made this stupid assumption that like other software, whenever I open my digital wallet, it would just auto-update. I'd be on the freshest, newest thing. You've actually one thing that I noticed. If you've if you've got your wallet and you're you are your own bank, you need to keep up with the news about that wallet and keep it updated mm. because there is a danger of you being on the wrong chain. Now it's pretty tricky to lose your money entirely, but you've got to keep your wallet updated. And yeah, mate, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because we get trained right for our software to automatically tell us mm. it needs to update, mm. don't we? Like every everything does it, and you would think. With your money at stake, mm. like stuff that you've put money into, that if there's a risk of going what they call off-chain, which is essentially being on the wrong version of the blockchain, mm-hmm. um, that it would be something that they would let you know about. But the issue is is that the wallet tech for most of these cryptocurrencies just isn't there. Mm. Like that element just isn't there. Mm. Um, and I have heard some people say, well, it's a you know we want to keep things private and... If we're pushing updates to you, um, that may breach your privacy. Yeah, there could um, be man in the middle of tax. Exactly, you know, feeding updates. From yeah, and, and this was this was Pivx. They've released a privacy version of their coin, so I I, I can see the rationale for that specifically. But mm-hmm. it's tough, mate, because unless you signed up for the email list or something. So that is really the takeaway from this. If you've bought into a cryptocurrency, sign up to their mailing list. They will email you saying you should have updated your wallet, you idiot. Mm. So, um, and I still haven't done mine. I mean, mine's mine's it's on a little Linux box, and I just haven't had the time. I haven't turned it on because I know if I turn it on, it'll download the wrong chain and it'll all be orphaned. So, um, I still need to update mine. It's a little bit of a pain, and. For all you developers out there, please, 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 just give us an option. At least give us the option. 
for those privacy guys that are really, really worried about man in the middle attacks, they can just turn it off. But for the rest of us, auto updates. Please give us an auto update. <laughs> um, everyone else is doing it, you know. And uh, we, we talk about adoption, don't we? You know, and that's one of the big issues with these wallets. Mm, mm, mm. So many different use, very small usability things, but over you know, 10 different pieces of software you need or, you know, a bunch of different cryptocurrencies, this really gets into, it gets overly complicated. Mm. And especially when you're trying to get, you know, friends or non-technical people into cryptocurrencies, yep. we need to like keep asking, demanding that it's getting better, that it gets better. That's right. And look, this has kind of prompted us to say we need to push up our wallet part of the Crypto 101. Um, so next episode, that's what we're fo- focusing mm. on. So we're going to gonna run through some of the ins and outs of, using wallets in crypto. Uh, well, in light of the breaking announcement that Russia will issue a ruble coin, our own Jordan Cronier has another announcement from the Democratic Republic of Zimbabwe. So we're going to cross live to Jordan now. Uh, let's get him on the phone. Jordan, have I got you? Yes, Matthew. Uh, yes, yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Jordan. It's it's uh, it's good to be talking to you again, mate. We haven't we haven't spoken in a little while. Oh, great, great, great. Yes, it's been it's been a while. Yes, it's been a while. Right. So, where are you today, Jordan? Zimbabwe. Uh, I was visiting my family. I got got news of something really really big, and then I came here. Okay. So, what's the news there then, Jordan? of this uh, Russia announcement, Zimbabwe actually announced that it's having its own cryptocurrency. Right, so that announcement you're talking about is the the crypto ruble announcement that was announced just recently by the government? Yes, yes. Okay, all right, so they're going to develop their own crypto Zimbabwean currency, are they? That's correct, man, yes. Okay, right, and and how is this different from their normal currency? It's totally different. This currency is completely online, for starters. Right, okay, but this is the same Zimbabwean currency that has hyperinflated for a number of years and instead of having wallets, people take their currency around in wheelbarrows, isn't it? Oh, yes, that, that is correct. Um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but yes. Right, okay. Um, so how does this... Is this a measure to solve that problem then, this hyperinflation problem that Zimbabwe have been having? Yes. Right, okay. Um so you say it's online, Jordan, but the Zimbabwean dollar is already online, I understand. And I mean, the most bank accounts are digital. Um, this doesn't really qualify as crypto, does it, just being online? Well, I, I would disagree there, Matt. Okay, why would you disagree there, Jordan? Because this is in- issued by a central bank, correct? Uh, correct, but it's uh, online. Right, but crypto takes more than just being online, though, Jordan. You need a, a blockchain cryptographically secure details, the works. Oh, well, they, they do have these, yes. Right, so it has a blockchain? Oh, yes, well, um, I'm, I'm sure there'll, there'll be one of those, yes. Right, do you know what it'll be based on? Will it be based on Bitcoin or Ethereum? Oh, do you know what? I think I heard uh, a mention of a, a Waves token. A Waves token? Uh, yes, Matt. The official centrally issued currency of Zimbabwe will be a Waves token. Um, I'm told it was surprisingly easy to set up. Right. Well, well, that is what Waves tokens are known for, being exceptionally easy to set up. Um, are they doing anything to improve the Waves tokens? Well, I'm 
sure there'll be improvements. Um, Mugabe is very convinced this will make Zimbabwe the uh, the new jewel of Africa. Um, he's seen what Bitcoin has done after all. Yes, Jordan, but I mean, Bitcoin has a functional ground-up blockchain and a real point of difference. Um, what does this have? Well, we do actually have a Mugabe figurine that will be going out to the first 500 adopters, so um, get in quick, eh? Right, okay, a Mugabe figurine. Is there anything else? Well, I believe they're going to uh, tax any transfers into the coin at uh, 20% of the value. Um, Mugabe thought that was a great thing that Vladimir did, so he's, he's doing more. Right, okay. So Mugabe figurine taxing at 20%. All right. Well, look, moving on, Jordan, who's, who's going to be building this coin? Oh, it's some, uh, some experts in Somalia, I believe, according to some sources of mine. Um, the great leader here, he sent money to a Somalian prince a little while back uh, to help him with his inheritance, and uh, he referred him to them. Right. This prince, did he promise part of his inheritance to Mugabe? I believe so, Matt. Uh, Mugabe's still uh, awaiting for the prince to finalise his portion of the payment, as I understand. Right, and did Mugabe know about? Did Mugabe know the prince beforehand? I don't believe so, Matt. Um, they they met over email, if I'm correct. Okay, and now they're building Mugabe a waves token currency. Yes, 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 Matt. I'm sensing some reservation here. Look, this is a huge investment opportunity here. Many people who missed Bitcoin should get onto this. It's a good buy. I'm putting all of my savings in, and I'll be telling my readers to as well. Do your readers have any money left, Jordan? I certainly hope so, Matt. I hope so. As always, Jordan, uh, thank you for your timely and outside-the-box insight. My pleasure, Matt. Right, well, there you go, mate. Another very interesting call-in from Jordan there, Joe. Jordan's a, he's a great guy. I mean, you've got to meet him in person. He is, he's, he's a real treasure. I yeah. think there's not many like Jordan. That's right. And look, that's why we keep him on. I mean, look, for all his interesting quirks, he brings us the breaking stories. Yeah. There's mm. a word foible to describe the, uh, the Jordan Cronier effect. Mm. Yeah. Um, we, obviously, it goes without saying that we, we, uh, we wouldn't advise following his investment advice to the, uh, to the letter. Yeah, so what we can, what what I've often found is that in the cryptocurrency, in the blockchain space, it can be really difficult to understand. You know what 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 this whole thing is about. Um, Whether it's you know what is a what is the blockchain, what is what is Bitcoin, how do all these things work? So what we're trying to do is we're just trying to explain in as simple terms as possible crypto basics. In a way that hopefully you can understand that if anything we say doesn't make any sense or if you have any questions or you think we could, you know, you've heard a good example from someone else, just share it with us. Feel free to send it via Facebook, Slack, Twitter, however you want. Mm. Feel free to send it over to us because we'd love to we'd love to see better explanations so we can explain it better. That's right. Um, so, look, just to recap on what we did last time, um, we talked about blockchain and Bitcoin. Um, which is essentially the really basics of this this whole space. If you didn't hear it, we'd recommend that you stop the podcast now, uh, go back, uh, download episode two, and in the show notes, we put all of our different segments and we timestamp them. So you'll be able to see when they're on. Um, and we just re- recommend just going and listening to that blockchain basics first. 
because we really build on that mm. here. So this episode, we're taking a look at Ethereum. Um, now, you've oh, you've heard a lot about this in the last couple of years. Now, to me, this is an entirely new concept. I mean, we have recorded this show twice. You are hearing the second recording. But the first time we recorded this show was the first time I found out how Ethereum worked. And I was amazed. And I think you will be too. There's a lot of real promise here. Some real drawbacks, but there's some real promise. Mm. So, look, just a quick recap on um, on our last episode. We we talked about blockchain, Bitcoin, and in that, I gave the example of a um, a, a shelf of boxes, um, and these boxes represent the blockchain, and each box represents a block. Um, and as you remember, um, a transaction was essentially writing the transaction down on a piece of paper, saying from to amount putting it into the box. Once the box was full, they sh- you shut the lid and then a, a miner um, picked that box up and put it on the shelf. And that was their part of the mm-hmm. transaction. And that's a really simplistic, real-world example of how the blockchain is. So you could go back along that shelf, open a box, pick a transaction out and look at it and say, oh, okay, this is what happened on a day 30 days ago. Mm. You know, um, And it's essentially that, but in digital form, Obviously, it's a lot more complex, um, but that's the example that we're probably going to keep going with through the rest of our series. Mm-hmm. So, what Ethereum did is it iterated on this idea of Bitcoin and blockchain um, and did some really new things. It's important to understand Ethereum because Ethereum is what really opened our eyes to the potential of blockchain outside currency. So, when we look at the Ethereum system, it's comprised of eight basic elements. The first one is accounts. The second is the concept of a state. The third one, and one of the most important ones, is gas and fees. The fourth one is transaction. The fifth one is blocks. The sixth is transaction execution. The seventh is mining. And the eighth is proof of of work. And we'll run through them uh, throughout the next 15, 20 minutes. But Ethereum can really be summed up as a complex system of many states. So, using our blockchain analogy, a state could best be summarized as a total picture, a snapshot of all of these boxes on this shelf at any one point. Hmm. So, for example, if you took a photo of boxes today, that would be today's state of the boxes. So, any node or computer that is hosting the whole blockchain, so it's hosting all those boxes, it's required to know all of the previous states and the current state to work. So, like Bitcoin, all transactions are grouped into blocks. To go from, but in Ethereum, to go from one state to the next state, a block needs to be mined, just like Bitcoin. So, instead of Bitcoin, here you're rewarded Ether. Um, so, Ether is the currency of Ethereum, and everything on the system uses Ether. Yeah, and and like Bitcoin, Ethereum also has a built-in difficulty adjuster. So, what this adjuster does is it makes mining harder over time. Uh, Unless there's less people on the network, then it gets easier, but essentially it keeps it at a ratio. Normally, the difficulty of that ratio is expanding as time goes on, so it's getting harder and harder. And this now is where Ethereum really takes on its own, and this is actually where it really shapes its own path, is the concept of accounts. Mm. Now, from what you were saying when we previously recorded this, there were two types of accounts within the Ethereum state. 
So you've got external accounts um, controlled by private keys with no code. So that's the sort of thing that you would have to mm. keep your money in. So that's the first type, external accounts. Then you've got contract accounts, which is the other type, which is entirely controlled by code. And this is where the smart contract system really comes out, and mm. it's fascinating. Yeah, so essentially with these, any external account, which is the first type of account, can send messages to other accounts or other contracts. Mm. Like Bitcoin, any transaction on Ethereum needs to be signed by a private key, which is essentially mm. like your signature. Contracts, on the other hand, so contract accounts can't start transactions themselves. And that's because the contracts themselves are made by these external accounts. But what contracts can do is react to other transactions. So, accounts have their own states, okay? They store... So, you've, you've got the big Ethereum state, which is a snapshot of the whole Ethereum network at any one time. Mm-hmm. But then each individual account within that network also has its own snapshots, right. also has its own states, okay. okay? And they store the amount of transactions that account has made, the contracts that that account has made and sent. It stores the balance and it also hashes a fair few of the other details. And then here's where Ethereum gets pretty controversial, which is gas and fees. So tell us how the gas and fees element of Ethereum works. Yeah, so look, now we've got the ability to send these transactions and and manage a rudimentary account. We need to work out how these transactions are actually sent. Mm. And like Bitcoin, there is a concept of of a fee um, for sending these transactions, but it's a little bit different here. So everything that goes on the on in the Ethereum blockchain must be carried out by using gas, okay? And gas is essentially means the amount that you are willing to spend. So essentially, when you are wanting to make a transaction, not only do you send the amount that you want to transact in, mm-hmm. you also need to say, I'm willing to pay the network this much to get my transaction to send. So it's... It, Essentially, what you're doing, unlike Bitcoin, where you just send your transaction and it eventually gets sent, mm-hmm. um, in Ethereum, you're competing with everyone else who wants to send their transactions. Right. Okay, And the miners will prioritize the people willing to pay a higher amount to send their transactions over the people that are willing to pay a lower amount to send their transactions. So, so it's sort of an auction to see who will pay the most for a transaction to happen. Exactly. It's exactly like an auction. So, if you picture the miners as like the auctioneer being like, I have one gas over here, one gas over here, and then someone else yeah. is like, two gas. And you're like, oh, two it's gas over niche. there. Two gas over there. And then the other guy's like, well, crap, I want to get my transaction through. So, he's like, three gas, you know? And then it's, it's, it is literally like this auction. And unfortunately, yeah. if you've got one person that only put their hand up for one gas and then the auction ends up at 20 gas, their transaction won't get filled and it may not ever get filled. I've had instances before where I've tried to send a transaction on Ethereum. I've set my gas limit too low and it's never filled and I lost that money. The network eventually said, sorry, we couldn't send your transaction. And it's kind of like you don't get a return. You know, It's like no returns. Your gas is just gone. This uh, really hurts the little guy, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah. If, if, if just, I, I don't have the kind of big money to you know do big things on Ethereum, but mm. it's pretty wild. It's a dog if eat dog a, world, oh, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, there's a rationale behind it, um, and the rationale is there's only a certain amount of hashing power, so people are mining these blocks mm-hmm. in the network, and there needs to be a way for people to ensure that 
their transactions get through when things get congested. Even if you send a transaction and you don't have enough gas, the computer still has to process that. Mm-hmm. And that's why they say, well, we need to take your gas just for the effort of actually just pro- even processing that mm-hmm. transaction. But mm-hmm. it also prevents overtaxing the network. So, mm-hmm. it prevents too many people trying to get on at once. It runs on a spend as much as you think it's worth kind mm-hmm. of ethos. And it also prevents malicious attacks. Um, uh, and that's one yeah, of the big yeah. reasons they say we charge these fees because... Otherwise, people could theoretically make contracts that were end- endless loops, right? right and just right. sent you know millions of transactions, just denying the whole network. Yeah, and just yeah. just crippled yeah. the whole network. Yeah, so kind sense. of like a DDoS on mm. Ethereum. Yeah. So transaction wise, um, what? How does that work? There are. Uh, tell me how the transactions work on Ethereum. Yeah. So there's two types of transactions in Ethereum. There's message calls and contract creations. Right. Okay. Both types of Transactions require a number of values to be present in them, including mm-hmm. your gas amount and um, and the amount you're willing to send. Contracts is kind of special though because they can also generate messages and talk to other contracts um, yeah. through an internal messaging system, which yeah. is contract specific. So, talking about contracts, when we're talking about contracts, we're really talking about this concept of smart contracts. Okay, right. and this was the real revolution in Ethereum that kind of opened our eyes to the the, the huge amounts of possibilities uh, that there were in Ethereum. Smart contracts are really how they sound. They're contracts that act like humans on the network. They re- record information on the blockchain automatically. Uh, they can message each other internally like mm-hmm. they're programmed to. And they conform to a set of rules in what's called the data field of the contract. And that's the unique element of Ethereum. Right. So... What um what what can what can they put in that data field? Yeah, so look, essentially the possibilities are almost limitless for what they can put in the da- data field. So the language that Ethereum is coded in is Solidity, okay, mm-hmm. and it's it's a very specific language to Ethereum, um, and it, it can program a wide range of things. So Ethereum has built into it a whole bunch of functions right, that right, the program right. can call on, and when it all boils down to it. You could really say that the data field uh, allows the smart contract to act like a user. So it allows the smart contract to essentially act like a human being mm-hmm. reacting to anything that happens on the blockchain. Mm. Yeah, so it's reactionary. It, it works on inputs from other things. Right, okay? right. And it just acts very specifically based off that. So what's an example of how would uh, a smart contract work in the real world? Yeah, so look, in the real world, um, the the example I really like to give to people about this because I think it's it's one of the will probably be one of the earliest areas to really pick this smart contract concept up and run with it is the area of conveyancing or buying and selling houses. Okay, right, okay. so in Australia, and it's probably similar in in a lot of places in the world, selling a house is quite involved. Uh, the process of selling a house begins with um, contracting a rental agency to go out and um, uh, advertise your house, mm-hmm. show people through it, mm-hmm. you know, gauge interest. Um, and then once there's a buyer that's interested, normally what they'll say is, I'm interested to buy the property, but I need to get finance from mm-hmm. a bank, okay? And the owner will say, okay, that's all right. I just want a deposit because I'm going to take this thing off the market and I want you to give me some money to make sure that I know that you're serious, mm-hmm. okay? 
And so, normally there's uh, there's that initial amount, whether it's given to the bank or it's given to the owner. Uh, contracts are different on that on that basis, but there's a whole bunch of different things that go into this process after that. Okay? And lots so, of people. Yeah, and- lots of people. So, you've got, um, normally you've got your, your rental agent, which is involved in different steps of the process. Mm-hmm. You've got um, people like building in- and pest inspectors. Right, right. Um, you've got people that come to test, you know, structural integrity of the building. You've normally got lawyers on both sides who are, you know, going back and forward about the the minutiae in the contract of mm-hmm. sale. Mm-hmm. And you've got both both parties, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've also got the government. And that can include uh, different regulators. That can include um, the land titles office, which is what it's called here in this state. Uh, but that's essentially where all the titles are kept, the registry. And there's all these steps and a lot to be of undertaken. There dates as well. So many dates, man. And if you miss one of those dates, yeah. the whole process can fall over. And we're talking nice. like five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar transactions. A lot mm. of these, and uh, you miss this date, and the whole process is kaput because of the legislative requirements and the the, the terms of the contract, mm-hmm. which makes just no sense. Because I, I'm I'm a lawyer, and um, I don't do this myself, but I um, there are a few people in my office that do this kind of stuff. And man, they are stressed. Like, I mean, I'm stressed, but like, I'm stressed because I'm involved in conflict. These guys are just involved in this selling of a house. And I look at it and I go, why is this so stressful? And it's because of these dates. And it's because there are so many moving parts in these transactions. So, what a smart contract would allow you to do is to say, we're going to conduct this whole thing on the Ethereum blockchain. We're going to code a contract that automates a whole bunch of this process. So, okay, we've got 14 days to get the deposit. Well, let's make a, a, a bit of code that says if there is X amount of Ethereum in this wallet address within 40 days, then go on to the next step. So, it's like this entire process is like a big flow diagram in code. Yep. And so, how, how would that work? So, it would start out, I've got my deposit ready to buy this house. Then yep. what, what happens next? Yeah. So, it would depend who that deposit needs to go to. Right, um, okay. But if, if it was to go to the bank to get approval for finance, then the bank could have a, an Ethereum account that it was, it was deposited into. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then once that deposit was made, it could send a... Uh, automatic message to whoever the finance manager is at that bank saying deposit has been made. It could also send a deposit to the owner saying mm-hmm. deposit has been made, conditional approval for finance granted. So that could come from the bank. Right, right, okay? right. Um, And then let's say you need to get a building and pest inspection. Uh-huh. Once that initial stage has happened, the deposit, the, the smart contract could say, okay, that condition has been satisfied. Yep. So we've got a yes. So let's, so then move on to booking, building, and pest. So, the smart contract actually initiates that notification to the sort of the pest control party? Correct. You would need a, some kind of interface yep. that they all yep. had access to, but, I mean, that's that's yeah, where yeah. we're at. Awesome. You know, someone all someone has to do is make that. It may already be made. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. But it, essentially, you would get a push notification sent to the parties each time something's going on. So, people know things are still moving. Mm-hmm. You get warning messages sent to people saying, this, is, this date is coming up, this thing is still not complete. You know, you would eliminate a whole bunch of back and forward chance for human error. You know, even something like, you know, people waiting for finance to go unconditional with the bank. The bank could automatically notify the contract at the different stages that that contract is in. And all the parties could log in and see that, you know. Um, Mm. And then when when the sale actually happens, the contract could automatically contact 
the titles registry and say, transfer this to this name. Everything else has been satisfied. Do an automated printout in whatever form that right, agency right, needs. Right. I mean, that's the thing. You know, if you if there were forms, you could train the contract to automatically input all the data into those forms. Look, the, the possibility for it to eliminate so much of the drudgery and the mm. unnecessary human time while reducing risk and taking a human error is immense. This is huge. And yeah. this is on a you know on a public distributed ledger that everyone can see sort of mm. how you know what's happened. It's immutable. Perfect. Yeah. This is going to like I can just sense that this is going to change so many different areas. Mm. Admittedly we've talked a bit about the fees and we'll jump on the pros and cons later, but just the very concept that you could just have a programmatic process and we just we just we focus on doing our own thing and as soon as we've done it you know check that in the smart contract does the rest so it's as it's a hands-off system mm. this is going to put a lot of conveyancing lawyers out the gym. <laughs> well it's going to make their lives so much it easier will make their lives so mm-hmm. much less stressful mm-hmm. and and i think that's the key with a lot of this smart contract is that it's not necessarily going to put people out of jobs it will create some jobs yep uh, because people will need to code this stuff and the liabilities around that is a whole mm-hmm. different argument mm-hmm. and look if you're already dealing in this send us an email because we'd love to talk to you yeah we would love to talk to you about the risks of of your code and what what comes with that, but that's an entirely different subject. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you but, if you've been dealing in smart contracts, hit us up. We'd love to speak to you. Yeah, but it will it will create a lot of jobs for mm-hmm. the people that are coding this thing, and it will also allow people to focus their expertise where it's really needed. Mm-hmm. Because at the mm-hmm. moment, you have a lot of people who have quite good expertise and knowledge, but they are tied up doing menial things that they don't really need to be doing because the technology is there now to do it. Just cutting back 30 seconds, you were saying about how we need, you know, needing to have people to develop these things, but there's definitely going to be space for a real sort of drag and drop system for building Mm. smart contracts where it automatically tells you, we need a, you know, you've got, if this happens, you also need a, what if it doesn't, you know, else. and like a drag and drop interface. Like we could just be creating smart contracts, just dragging... There's a project um, called Blockcat. Um, We'll put the link in the show notes. They're an ICO that ran about uh, two months ago, and they proposed to do a drag and drop. They they want to be. um, I can't remember who which which app they wanted to be like, but for smart contracts. But it's essentially they want to be like a drag and drop solution for smart contracts. I want to check that out. Um, That sounds great. Blockcat. Blockcat. I'm not sure where they're at in their project. Probably another one we need to to hit up and see if they'd be willing to come on and chat. But I was really intrigued. They didn't get a lot of press, but I was really intrigued with their idea. Essentially, they wanted to be simple enough to make it so that if you ordered pizza, let's say you ordered three pizzas, you could make a smart contract there and then divvy that up between five people Mm. um, and pay for the pizza. That's their goal, Mm. to be simple enough to do that. So, a couple of disclaimers about this whole smart contract thing. Smart contracts still require gas. Um... Each step still requires a cost. So, I foresee anyway, smart contract writers are going to write these contracts in Ethereum. The very smart contract developers will need to minimize the steps that actually need the gas. That might involve bundling up a whole bunch of steps into one if it can. Uh, But I think the really successful developers will be the ones that work out a way to code within this ecosystem and save as much cost as possible. And look, it goes without saying... It still needs to be monitored. It's still been programmed by a human. This is still very early days. 
no one wants a $600,000 transaction to fall over because there was an error in the code and no one picked it up. Mm. So I, I've been, you know, whenever I read about IC initial coin offerings and, you know, new tokens being released to the public, it gets it gets a bit confusing because they're always running these sort of initial coin offerings on the Ethereum blockchain. So mm. why is that and how does it work? Yeah, so look, it's a little confusing coming from someone that is relatively new to the space. And look, Chris Coney from Kexcoin, who we interviewed last episode, highlighted it as well, um, saying that BitShares does what uh, Ethereum does with ICOs, but better. And he's correct with that. At the end of the day, Ethereum is a mined platform, so it's proof of work, just Mm -hmm. like Bitcoin. The blocks are written by miners who are mining on their computers with their graphics cards or with big supercomputers. And the network is really limited by the amount of mining that can be done. Mm. Uh, And that slows things down in a lot of ways. Ethereum does allow tokens and they can come with the smart contracts, but platforms like BitShares already have markets. They also allow tokenized assets. With Ethereum, it means that you can build a lot on top of the Ethereum platform, Mm -hmm. but it's costly. I think... The, the Ethereum limit at the moment for transactions per second is like 10 transactions per second or right. something. Uh, don't send us hate mail about that, but it's somewhere around there, I think. Whereas BitShares is like 10,000 per second. Wow. Um, so that's been tested. That's a sea change. Yeah, and, and you remember when the ICO mania really started happening, mm-hmm. it was really slowing down. It was getting really costly mm. um, to even just participate in these ICOs. Mm. Uh, and the system was just so slow. And just but just back on it, so if I wanted to buy into, a, um, a, let's say, the FOMO coin ICO, yep. and so what, what happens? Do I just need to have Ether in my my wallet and I send that to a smart contract address with some gas um, and then I get back a tokenized whatever I bought the FOMO coins yeah um, a lot of the time it's a, there's an extra step involved there so you send your some of them credit the token automatically to your Ethereum account right um, others don't. We've had issues with the EOS ICO, which is quite ironic because they're proposing to be an Ethereum killer but getting your your EOS out of the smart contract is a little bit more difficult because you have to take an extra step and you have to transfer it back. And that costs you gas as well. So not only do you pay gas going in, you pay gas coming back the other way as well. It's like tax, isn't it? It feels like tax, man. It feels really clunky. It feels really unintuitive. Mm. Um, And I think that's the biggest issue with... I'm still very confused why most ICOs run on the Ethereum platform. I get it for something like Decentraland because they're building on top of the Ethereum platform. Uh But for some other ICOs where really all they're giving you is a token that's a tradable token but has no real utility, Mm -hmm. and especially if they're building their own blockchain, why is it on the Ethereum network? Because Ethereum isn't really built for that. Mm. Ethereum is built for smart contracts. It's almost like they're just trying to make it purposely difficult to have a barrier to entry, which means that the techie people can get on it fast. Yep. Oh, and so there are a few problems that are clearly there. I mean, this whole smart contract idea, absolutely brilliant. Mm. And being interact from your, your private account with a smart contract address, and it's just that code that you're interacting with, that's brilliant. But this, I really sense that this gas, the fees that you have to pay, and you've got to bid as high as you can to get your transaction to go. It's literally like there's a, a single taxi at this rank and it's raining and there are 20 people and it's just <laughs> yeah. whoever throws the most at the driver gets in that taxi. Everyone else is sitting in the rain. What, uh, what, what are the problems that you're seeing with Ethan? Yeah, mate, that is a really good summary of my feelings about Ethereum because <laughs> everyone sings its praises and 
I'm just stuck paying fees. <laughs> You're just standing you know? in the rain. I'm like, just stuck in the rain throwing my cab? money. And I'll throw the money at the cab. <laughs> and then the cab, you'll go, oh, sorry, mate. I'm taking this other guy that threw money at him. Meanwhile, his seat's full of cash and coins. <laughs> and he just drives off with it. <laughs> he doesn't perfect. even give it back to me. You know, that's, and that's how you feel with Ethereum. Like, mm. I feel like I'll send... I've been in this position before. I send my... Try and send my money to the smart contract. I set my gas limit. And then... It's like the miners who, this is who the gas is going to, it's the yeah. miners. The miners take my money, yeah. pull my pants down, <laughs> push me out in the rain looking for a cab, and then they say, oh, sorry, if you want to if, if you want to send your transaction, you'll have to pull your pants back up, come back in, and pay us some more money to do it. <laughs> wow. How so, does that make any so sense? So, even if your transaction fails, you've still had to pay the transaction costs. You course. still had to pay that gas fee. Um, and that is the biggest issue. The miners have a lot of control in this system. Okay? There's some real skullduggery going on it, there. There is. And, and this system is at the behest of the miners. They they are the ones that control the hashing power. Mm. They have a lot of the interest uh, in the Ethereum. They have a lot of the Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the miners that choose whether to fill the orders or not. There's actually been instances, I've heard of this, where miners make a transaction fail because it's out of gas, Mm -hmm. just to get the user to spend twice. So, they look at a transaction and go, and they set, they automate it, you know, they set, they set things to say, if it's not above this price, just don't even accept it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just like one guy, it's like mining pools, like where a whole bunch of this hashing powder is. They say, you know what, today we're going to make a whole bunch of transactions that normally work to fail because they're out of gas. And And they have no option but just to make the transaction again and spend twice. That's right. And the the miners take both of that. So, it costs a lot. Um, It's slow at times So because it's used for a lot of ICOs. We've already touched on that. And look, it's expensive in comparison to most other coins to transact. I mean, you know, mate, we, we, you know, you use Dash or PIVX or... Uh, bit shares or something mm. else. You pay a fraction of the cost that you pay on the Ethereum network normally. They've got a low transactions per second. Um, and also, even the, the smart contract language, I mean, I've tried to look at this stuff and Solidity is its own language and it's mm. quite different to a lot of other things. Um, I, I don't know what the rationale behind choosing a completely different language was mm-hmm. and maybe there's some good reasons mm-hmm. for it, but it does create an extra barrier because mm-hmm. people need to mm-hmm. learn that specific language. Look, mate, the biggest hurdle I think is that it's just not user-friendly. I think it's a good tech demo. I just have really big questions about its viability long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, as yeah, as someone who's fresh to this, to this whole thing, it is really cool. I mean, this whole concept, Absolutely fascinating. You can really see just from seeing that there are these two types of accounts, your like private accounts and then smart contract address account or smart contract accounts. And they can sort of talk to each other and monitor like, you know, the smart contracts can monitor what's going on and react to things. This is all great. But yeah, you've got these, you know, it's it's so exciting, but you can tell that this is such early days. Mm. I mean, it's almost like this is like the Alta Vista the, yeah. of of the um of the smart contracts world. It's, you know, Google wasn't the first search engine out there, but 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 yeah, it's definitely better than what was there before. I don't remember what you were using, but like Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves. That was a great site. Mate, Ask oh, Jeeves was so That good. was a golden age of computing. Yeah. Just this friendly little butler face, you know. Oh. Like just what do you want to ask me? Yeah, he knew oh. so much for a butler. Too. Yeah, he was re- he was a really knowledgeable guy. I Can't mean, I was get butlers like that these um, days. Like 
what was he doing even being a butler? You know, he was wasting his time. Maybe he invested in Bitcoin. Maybe that's why <laughs> that that's why our chief shut down. Oh, hold wait, hold on, because in episode two we were talking about EOS, which mm. is um, a project of um, Block One, which is a. Uh, a startup that was um, by Dan Larimer, or who created BitShares and Steemit, the um, sort of social uh, social network that's on the blockchain. But he's looking to build EOS, which is uh, trying to deliver on the promises that Ethereum has, and it's so promising. Mm. Now, with EOS, like it's you know whether whether it takes off or not is a whole other question. But it's really fascinating to see that it's it's trying to solve these problems that we're talking about here: the high fees for making transactions, yeah. that are really adding like steps that are putting it steps away from being a massive, massive thing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think. Look, we're really excited about EOS. That's why we featured it so early. But a lot of a lot of what really gets me about Ethereum, I don't think I even recognized until I read up about EOS. And then it was like this penny clicked. And I was like, mm. yeah, hang on. Why am I paying such high transaction fees? Mm. Why is this still proof of work when proof of stake um, is so much more superior? You know, And so for those of you guys who, who don't know, proof of work is having physical computers mining the blocks um, mm-hmm. and putting all their power towards hashing these blocks. Mm-hmm. Proof of stake is uh, you put all your cryptocurrency into a wallet and then you, quote unquote, unlock the wallet to the network and you use your cryptocurrency, um, sorry, and you use your computer mm-hmm. to secure the network. Right. Um, so it, it just elects different computers based on the amount of coins they have to to write a block right. every now and then, and then so you just get a reward. Keeping your computer online, connected, open to the network, yeah. keeps the network alive, and it's not wasting computer power. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very it's a very low headroom. Mm. Um, I like mining, which is very high yeah. intensity. It's a different mm. sort of competition. Yeah, yeah. Your, your competition in mining is based on your hashing power. Your probability of mining in proof of stake is based on the amount of coins you have. Um, and that's how it chooses randomly who who will do it. Mm. Um, so, we'd recommend checking out episode two, which we featured mm. EOS on. Um, it does address a lot of the problems. Look, yeah, mate, smart contracts are really useful. They've got a huge Definitely future. Definitely the future. Yeah. Definitely seems that way. Um, it's just whether... I, just ha- I have questions whether paying fees for them is really the future. When you look at most systems mm, now, mm. you don't pay fees for that mm. kind of stuff. And um, one analogy that I've heard a number of times before is that any new technology, there's this 20-year period where it's just the Wild West. Yeah. And then it sort of starts settling down and you're yeah, having kids and all that stuff. But, you know, with the internet, it's just come to its 20-year period. You know, now we're starting to see this is what the internet's supposed to be about. You know, previously it used to, you know, the way you used to navigate pages, that the you know, building t- all pages as tables. You know, the, the, the things have now settled down and it's now, okay, so we're, we're doing social media and mm. we're... Um, using these messaging platforms and cloud storage, and that's become the norm. But that's mm. taken, you know, five years ago, Google Drive was still like it wasn't, it wasn't the done thing. Like, well, I don't even know if it was there, but still, yeah, twenty years that sort of takes, and we're just at, we we're barely you know seven years 
Is it seven years? No, it's almost 10 years. Almost 10. We're almost 10 years into the blockchain. And that's really exciting because we're still in the Wild West. Yeah. We're still, we still haven't even reached the dot-com bubble state. Well, we're probably going through the dot-com bubble of blockchain at the moment. I'm mm. sure. Yep. But it's so exciting because the way that smart contracts are going to be 10 years from now, I can't wait to see it, but yep. I can't see what that's going to be. Yeah. Watch this space. Drag and drop. Dra- right. Drag and drop smart drag contracts. Drag and drop smart I contracts. Hope. <laughs> oh, I <hope. laughs> yeah. So, cool. Yeah. So you just you just did your tax return and you're getting a fair bit back, aren't you? I did indeed. So I'm pretty fresh off the boat to Australia. I've been here. Pro- well, I haven't even been here a year yet. So um, wasn't it funny when we were discussing this? I think we we're discussing it on the weekend. The feeling you get when you get your tax return back and it says <laughs> we, we've given you like you're going to receive three thousand dollars back from the government, and it's kind of like. A part of you is, has been conditioned really to be really happy. childishly excited to be getting money. You're like, it's, you're like, it's free money. And then you go, oh, wait. Now, hang on a second. Yeah, this is the returning of stolen property. Yeah, like when I, when I get employed, my employment contract says I earn a certain amount of money a year. Mm. But then... No, you ev- don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Every week, a certain amount of that money goes mm. somewhere else. And you're only giving me a fraction of that back. It's something like you're working January to March for the government. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, Joe got some of his his money returned. Yeah. To him. So I've I'm getting this big 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 paycheck from this you know returning stolen funds and um and yeah I've decided I'm going to sink the whole lot into cryptocurrency. So over the next over the next couple of weeks um, while I'm waiting for that to be returned to my account, um, I'm going to be looking into a few of these different smaller cryptocurrencies that have a huge amount of potential. I'm just going to try and find. Six to eight really sort of promising, slightly high risk cryptocurrencies. See which ones. Now, the thing I'm looking for is something that's gonna has the potential to be tradable. Mm. Um, when we previously recorded this episode, a few episodes, we, uh, a few episodes ago, we talked about um, Stellar Lumens, which is a public cryptocurrency, which is almost like Ripple in a way, mm. uh, and it's designed for sort of cross-border micropayments, you know, really small transactions, um, but really quick and public, not sort of anonymous things, but just like a quick cryptocurrency. We were chatting about it and I was getting so excited. I thought, you know, I've got to buy some of this. Never did buy any. And when we sat down to record the other day, I opened up the market market page and it had gone up 167% in a day. And you were getting really bad FOMO, weren't you? I was antsy, <laughs> just fuming. Joe was like, oh, mate, should I... I should just put some in now. And we're like, mate, no FOMO. Like, <laughs> that horse is bolting. Oh, mate. <laughs> I'm still shutting the gate, mate. Like, uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm going to take a look, see which sort of different cryptocurrencies I'm going to spread that into. And hopefully I'll sh- we'll share that with, with a page on our site, just so you can see some of these smaller projects that have the potential, but are still really, really small and very risky. So... Stay tuned for that. Very risky. Well, you know, no risk, no reward. These, there's most, like seven in. Yeah. If you do eight. your research, though, it, yeah. it won't be as risky as. It's not like you're just putting a whole bunch of little crypto symbols on a dartboard and throwing a dart at it. Well, it's basically something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we. That's how we choose all our investments. Yeah. But yeah, 
I'm expecting some of those to really fail. Mm. But, you know, hopefully three years from now, we'll see some growth in those. Yeah. And that's what, I'm, that's what we're banking on. So you're putting this out for, you're going to put this somewhere for people to be able to track your, well, Joe's journey. Not to track how much money I have or, you know, anything like that. Joe's but more just to say, of fortune. just to say, yeah, this is a little portfolio I'm building for myself. You're welcome to use it. Don't trade based on my advice. If not you buy, advice. if you buy something that I recommend, you're an like and it fails that's your stupidity for following my thing same if if you tell me what to invest in and i buy that that's not your fault that's my fault for my oh, fault look, for matt i'll tell you what to invest in right now zimbabwean <laughs> crypto dollars uh, do you know what jordan spoke pretty highly of them and you know what? i don't you know he's not so, he, he's got a he's got a track record he does have a track record we'll leave it at that Cool, mate. Well, um, that's about it for us here. Yeah, um, if you know someone who might enjoy this sort of topic, do feel free to um, share it with us. Um, that would be super awesome. You can find us at uh, FOMO.show. That's our website, FOMO.show. Fear of missing out. You can uh, jump on our Slack at FOMOshow.slack.com. Um, if you do Slack, please just um, just feel free to, to jump in. We're, uh, we're very welcoming and, yeah, a lot of good discussion going on. And if you've not heard of Slack before, it's sort of like a it's a messaging forum mm. um, for sort of a chat sort of system, um, different channels there. Just jump on any questions, any links you think are cool, feel free to send it. Just drop them in there. Yeah, and we do want to make this a more interactive experience too. So um, the more people that, that jump in and, um, and can shoot things to us, the more we can really make sure we're addressing uh, what the community wants us to talk about. Mm. And um, you can always follow us on Twitter, uh, the at the underscore FOMO underscore show. We just post pretty pretty terrible GIFs and, and other assorted nonsense from around the internet. So uh, do check that out and send us, send us hate tweets. And you can also find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash the FOMO show. Um, we'll put all those links in the show notes. We've got a YouTube channel that will hopefully be coming up soon. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link that when the time comes. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate your company each and every week. Like we say, please feel free to share this with your friends. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember. Beautiful people to have sat this long and actually managed to get through the podcast. Like, <laughs> we love you. Like, <laughs> sit, like you are an awesome person. And yeah, tweet us hate stuff, please. Like, I, I want, I want some angry tweets. Joe wants your hate. I want that. <laughs> I want to reply with a gif. Just... That was the smooth sound of Matt Llewellyn. <laughs> Only on the FOMO show. <laughs> FOMO show, we choose our topics by, yes, we have a snail and a board with words on it, and whatever the snail walks to. <laughs> Couldn't afford to pay royalties on the tune, so Matt will be humming the intro theme. <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs>
12 o'clock, this yes. is BTC News. <laughs> Do a show about beets <laughs> and other vegetables. <laughs> Broadcasting from the garden, this is... <laughs> I do like a good parsnip, though, to be honest. And in Australia, parsnips are very expensive. Well, we're out in the garden again when we're digging up some of the nip family. <laughs> Turnips, parsnips. In capitalist America, you rob bank. In Soviet Russia, bank robs you. Um, but he loves the government and he trusts them. Yeah. Implicitly trusts them. <laughs> well, we do actually have a Mugabe figurine that will be going out to the first 500 adopters, so um, get in quick, eh?